0: Are you serious? mean, you know, a lot of people at that point have a first real understanding of their greatest gifts and can turn that into the most productive two or three decades of their life. So that's it. It's never too late to have a new beginning.
1: Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. Are you ready? Because it's time for your daily helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an exceptional guest today. Dan Miller is the author of the New York Times best-selling book 48 Dazed to the Work You Love. He's been a guest on CBS's The Early Show, MSNBC's Hardball, with Chris Matthews and Fox Business News with Dave Ramsey. He hosts a weekly podcast that is consistently ranked number one under careers on Apple Podcast, Dan is a frequent speaker at conferences and over 140,000 people have subscribed to his weekly newsletter as well. All that he does helps people find or create work that they love. This is going to be a great episode. Dan, welcome to The Daily Helping. It is fantastic to have you. Well,
0: thanks so much. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
1: So, I know we were talking a bit before we, we hit the red button here, and that we're talking about the 20th anniversary of 48 Days of the Work You Love. And we're going to definitely spend a good amount of time on that. But as you know, I really love to get into people's whys, people's journeys. How did you start doing this work, which has become a phenomenon?
0: I started what is now the 48 Days Message at a really low point in my life. I'm an entrepreneur. The top of my head to tip of my toes. I've never had a real job. So I've always been doing things and I had to leverage things that had worked pretty well. And then all of a sudden there came that time banking regulations changed. The bank that I had kind of open ended connections with changed ownership three times in two years, put me in a really untenable position. I sold one of the businesses I had, a health and fitness center. I woke up the next morning and realized I owed $430,000 in debt and legitimate debt, a lot of that to the IRS. I committed to pay that back, but it was during that period of time, my wife and I were asked to teach a Sunday school class. And sometimes there's low points. The best thing you can do is to encourage others, and so we started doing that, but teaching a Sunday school class on career life transitions, and I had no intention of that having anything to do with income generation. It was simply you know, ministry, service, giving back, but the needs were so great, and people started coming to that, and the thing that surprised me was that... I knew I would have, you know, the 20-year-old who just lost his job at Burger King wanting to get a new job. But what surprised me was having physicians, dentists, attorneys, pastors, engineers, accountants, and so on, who were coming in droves. It grew and grew and grew. People coming from other churches, other states. I'm like, what are you guys doing here? I'm like, well, we're doing okay, but I don't think this is it. I think I'm missing something. There's something deeper. And so I was allowed to go into that space. So it was almost by accident. And certainly there are no accidents, but it was it was unexpected on my part to have this become the forefront of what I was doing and ultimately income generation as well. But that was my, my why was working my own way out of a deep hole. And then in doing so, being able to authentically help other people going through similar situations. So the stories were real, not created because I went to a cabin for six months and wrote a book. The stories were real about people going through their own transformation. Me walking through that myself was really my
1: why. At what point, when you were doing that, did you realize I need to put this in a book? How, how quickly did that thought happen?
0: It happened pretty quickly, and I had never, I'd never considered myself an author. Never had that desire at all, but. I would have people who were in that Sunday school class, and then they'd say, look, I've got a son-in-law who's been without work for three months. I want him to hear what you just told us. What do you have that I can give him? And I didn't have anything, and I kept getting those requests. So I put together initially just a little spiral-bound book that I would have done at Kinko's, my rough compilation of notes. And then I went to a three-ring binder. And I put two cassettes on the inside. We just peel the back off those old cassette wells, stick them in there. That was my first kind of product. But I didn't talk to a publisher. didn't go to library, bookstores. I just started making that available. And that really took off. was just that compilation, that rough compilation of my notes. And ultimately then, well, I I went to a Mark Victor Hansen conference, Megabook University, Mark being co-author of Chicken Soup for the Soul. And I said, hey, let's go to this thing hear this gracious Southern gentleman talk about what he did to sell books. So we did, my wife and I went, we came back. And in the next 18 months, I sold over $2 million worth of that three ring binder. Then I had publishers knocking on my door. They're saying, we see what you're doing with this. Let us put this in a traditional trade book. So it was that kind of back end into having an actual book was the way that it started.
1: Interesting and different than how a lot of people come to publish a book. So let's talk about it. This is the 20th anniversary of this book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. So if somebody's listening to this and they're saying, you know, I kind of am agreeing and, and of the mindset of some of these dentists and doctors and Burger King workers and whatnot who came to hear you because I don't love the work that I do. Let's let's talk about how they get there.
0: Absolutely. And here's the thing. Having written that book initially in 2020, I mean, 2000, rather <laughs> 2000 is now 2020. I've updated it every five years. So in the current version, about 30% of what was in that original version is still there. That's the core message, how to get a sense of what was I put on earth to do. So I tell people 85% of the process of having a confidence of proper direction in your career comes from looking inward. We're too quick to just look at exterior kind of solutions. Well, I know they're hiring at the plant down the street. My Uncle Harry you know, is making a lot of money on Amazon online. And we look for those kind of things and want to just replicate that. No, sit, look inward first. And in doing so, identify what are your unique skills and abilities? What are your personality tendencies? What are your values, dreams, and passions? It's from those three areas that you ought to be able then to get a clear focus. What is it that's unique about me? And having then identified that clear focus, then the 15% is the application. All right, now, what kind of work environment, if it's something that I go get a job in or something that I create in my own, what is it that's going to integrate those things I know about myself? And in doing so, then you have the confidence. But see, even a lot of those people with professional degrees, and certainly we're not going to denigrate that at all, but a lot of those people wake up at 42 years old and realize, They're there just simply because they had the academic ability to keep going. And it was easier than having to make another decision. They just kept going. So, having the ability is not enough reason to invest your time in doing something without the integration of passion, personality, some other components in that you can burn out. And that's what we see over and over and over again.
1: And I want to clarify something and ask you a question because there's a lot of people that are in the school that everybody should be an entrepreneur. And there are other people of this kind of school of thought that, no, you know, some people are really not cut out for entrepreneurship, but they can have an excellent, fulfilling career working for somebody else. So what you're talking about this model, this looking inward and identifying these three main things, is this something you would recommend to somebody who is looking for a traditional job and perhaps looking to start a business? Or is this really more for you know, finding that traditional nine-to-five kind of job?
0: No, it's for both. What I want people to, and I don't have a predetermined ending point for anybody. What I want them to do, though, is to be familiar with the entire broad spectrum of work applications that are possible today. Be that an eight-to-five job, where you get two weeks vacation, 401k, perfectly legit, we're going to have those for a long time. All the way over to... You know the kid who has a sports information site on the internet spends two hours a day in his T shirt and makes two hundred thousand a year, very unstructured, very unsystematized, so to speak. Those are all okay, but there's a lot of things in between there. So somebody can have come out of a traditional job where they really refined an area of expertise and so they become a consultant where they do just that for maybe five other companies, just to kind of a tweak in the work model. Someone may decide, I really want to do something on my own, but I'm scared to death to be that raving entrepreneur where nothing is known. Well, you might want a franchise. So get a Chick-fil-A franchise or Subway franchise. Proven model, so you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. So you want, may want to swing by, you get an affinity for beautiful looking yards. You do your own yard nice. You swing by Home Depot, spend a thousand bucks on a lawnmower, put a little sign on your truck and you got a landscaping business. So there's lots of gradations in that spectrum of work that, that matters for people who care. So I don't have a predetermined ending point. I just want people to be a, a knowledgeable about that entire continuum.
1: It's a, a fantastic answer. And I, and I want to follow it up with another one because, you know, one of the things that you often hear in the entrepreneurial space is, is the freedom that that gives you, that you get to be able to do these other things versus a traditional job. And so if you have a traditional job, even if it's one where you love the work and you're passionate about it and such, how does one prevent themselves from having the work? a job really controlling their life? What's your advice for, for people with that? Yeah, that's a
0: that's a great question, especially in the work environment we have today. I mean, even in this last trying time that we've been through here, where a whole lot of people unexpectedly are working from home, and all of a sudden working from home means you don't just leave, walk out the door, you walk into your office and work starts. Work can kind of creep into 24-7 if you aren't careful. And certainly those people who have chosen to do their own thing, more entrepreneurial, non-traditional, find that that is easily the case. You know, that text can go off when you're you know, sitting in church on Sunday morning or when you're out on a golf course or on a beach somewhere. And it's just it's all-consuming, it's all it can be, if we're not careful. We just have to be disciplined. I mean, that shouldn't be something that's impossible to manage. We just have to decide in advance. It's like anything worthwhile in life, we decide in advance what we want that to be like. So setting goals is deciding in advance what you want the year to look like. Deciding what your weekly schedule is means you decide in advance. So if you are committed to take your wife on a date on Friday night, and then you have a client call and says, hey, I'm going to be in your area. I'm going to be in the Atlanta area. And can we get together? I need to swing by and talk to you for a little bit. You can look at your schedule and say, I'm sorry, I already have a commitment. If that is to spend time writing and thinking, if that's on your schedule, then it's something you commit to instead of just addressing the squeaky wheel, so to speak. So it's, it's an exciting challenge, but it's, it's an opportunity for all of us to really decide what is most important. Where am I going to invest my time? And if we haven't decided that, we will feel overwhelmed. We'll be busy, frustrated, and harried.
1: Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. So true. And I mentioned that this is an unusual and trying time because of COVID. So let's talk about how COVID has changed the landscape of business because. You know, I mean, there's the obvious, like you mentioned, we have so many people working from home, but it's bigger than that. And so, those changes are probably going to be with us for a while. So, talk to us about how COVID is transforming business. It has
0: made a major impact. We will not go back to the way things were. We hear people talk about when can we get back to normal. It's not going to happen. There have been too many things that have changed. Oh, if we take academic institutions, they have been hit with a mortal wound. It'll never be the same. Students have discovered that they can access the best minds in the world by jumping online. Uh, They can go at their own pace. They don't have to necessarily spend four years sitting in a classroom or on a campus. I mean, things have changed. Churches that were not allowed to meet during this period of time, there are estimates that 45% of the people who stopped going to church will not return, even when the option is available. So we look at the workspace. All of a sudden, people who are used to going to a big building, a high-rise somewhere, and they're being told, no, you have to stay home. A lot of those people have discovered other benefits of staying home and are resisting the idea of going back to work. A lot of companies are saying, you know what, why are we paying for this expensive real estate and for all the infrastructure, the utilities and everything here, if we can get productive work from people when they're living at home? So there's a lot of things that have changed. and And it's not that we've all discovered that the old way of doing things was not any good. And we're just going to no, know there are still challenges in that. I was talking with my good friend, Dave Ramsey. Uh, he's got over a thousand employees. And during that period of time, there's two months when they were working from home. And I said, well, Dave, did you discover that you don't really need to build these new buildings that you're building? You know, he said, no, he said, we never missed our quotas at all. We hit every goal that we had set. But what we lost was the creativity the innovation that comes from being in the same room together, being around the water cooler, those spontaneous conversations. So there are things that are valuable components of the way things used to be done. But now we have the opportunity to kind of pick and choose. Which of those do we want to go back and reinstate again? But also, what have we discovered in the way that things have changed that really is a new opportunity? And that's an old principle. It comes from Think and Grow Rich with Napoleon Hill. Anytime there's change, they're the equal seeds of opportunity. That's the way I really have looked at it. A whole lot of us have in this period of time, almost to the point of feeling guilty because there's so many opportunities that have arisen out of this last year with COVID and things we're seeing. It's not all bad. There's a lot of new opportunities that have emerged, which is always the case when unexpected change shows up.
1: And it's led to a spark in entrepreneurship out of necessity, much like your situation when you had this big hold of debt to climb out of. So many people lost their jobs and out of no other options because they couldn't get another job, they started their own business and are thriving now. So there are always positives, even though this has been an unusual time, to be sure.
0: For sure. Yep. Those accidental entrepreneurs are thanking their lucky stars. Things happened as they did.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh, I want to transition a bit. There's something that I know you talk about that I I would love to hear you explain to everybody called the upper limit challenge. So how does that work and how does that relate to how much money that one could make? Wow. Thanks for asking
0: that. I love this concept. If one is working in a traditional job, you're likely to get a three or 4% annual increase. So if you're making 70,000, you know, next year you're going to make 74 or whatever that we can handle. It's kind of like the old analogy of the frog in the kettle. You know, you turn up the heat really slowly. He just sits there and cooks to death because it happens so incrementally. But in today's environment, if somebody goes from working a traditional job, let's say they write a book. I mean, you've talked about your desire to write a book. So they write a book and it becomes, you know, the next purpose-driven life. All of a sudden, You're making millions and millions of dollars. So it's not just that incremental increase in your income, maybe 10 times or 20 times. That requires mental and spiritual preparation or else you'll sabotage it. Now, Here's a quick example of how that we see that played out. Let's say that we discover a kid down in Alabama, really in poverty, in the ghetto somewhere. Man, this kid has a throwing arm like we've never seen. We bring him to Nashville, Tennessee, give him a $10 million signing bonus with the Tennessee Titans. Six months later, he spent the money and more, made bad decisions that has ruined his career, and he's back where he came from because his sense of deserving didn't match the reality of what he received so quickly. That's that upper limit challenge. And in today's environment where we have so many opportunities that could change your life overnight, yeah, you have to be prepared and recognize what is your upper limit challenge. And I was raised, my dad was a farmer. I remember when we bought our first cow, milked that cow by hand. and it's humbling to me to recognize that now, on a good day, I make more money than my dad ever made in an entire year. I had to work through being okay with that, and it's a process that a lot of us have to confront on an ongoing basis. I and mean, how do you justify tearing out the kitchen in your house if it's functional, but your wife wants an updated Cosmetic version of what a kitchen should be—it's that issue. How do I justify this? And rightfully so, we ought to confront ourselves with that in terms of stewardship and responsibility. But that upper limit challenge—we mean we think about somebody who says, "Oh, I, I really want to be a speaker," so they get an opportunity to speak at the local Rotary Club, and that morning they wake up with a sore throat. It's that upper limit challenge saying, "You aren't worthy of this. You don't deserve this." And we see that sabotage people's opportunities for success exponentially in today's volatile workplace.
1: So talk to us about some strategies, some direct things that somebody can do to mediate that upper limit challenge. I mean, you, you, you conceptually, this makes a lot of sense. That, and the speaking example is a brilliant one. What are some direct things that people can do if they think that's going on to challenge that?
0: One of the things is to be around people who are already performing at a level at which you want to perform. So if you start to change your life dramatically, the people who you've been friends with for a long time may not be your biggest cheerleaders. Your family, they may not be cheering you on. They may be saying, nobody in our family has ever done this. You know, how, why do you think you can make $100,000 a year? We have no history of that. You want to be a, around people who are cheering you on. So that means being intentional. It doesn't mean just rejecting everybody, you know, but be intentional about spending time with people who are going to cheer you on and believe in you. Be reading things. I mean, I loved the old Horatio Alger stories, you know, rags to riches, people who were really challenged and then went on to great success. So be reading positive, clean, uplifting things. Limit your intake of social media and news, which there's so much negativity that it'll sabotage any kind of big positive dreams you might have. So there are real strategic things you do to, in that period of time that I described, Dr. Richard, where I was you know, deeply in debt, needed to recover from that. I committed to spending at least two hours every day listening or reading the positive material. So the old masters of achievement, you know, Jim Rohn, Dennis Waitley, Zig Ziglar, people like that, two hours a day. It was so transformative in my life. I've never discontinued that. I continue that today. That's one of those strategies that can help you break through an upper limit challenge, can help you see this is possible for me if I do this and follow this path.
1: So interesting. You mentioned Jim Rohn, Zig Ziglar, Napoleon Hill a few moments ago. These guys, they figured it out. You know, years before we had the neuroscience to understand. Why that is, but Jim, R- Jim Rohn's quote, "You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with," is so true. So I- I'm really glad that you shared that with everybody today. And, and I want to kind of dovetail because, in general, you know, we we talked about the sabotaging and with the upper limit. But what are some of the the pitfalls, generally speaking, and common mistakes people can make with their career?
0: One thing is just the comfort of the status quo,
1: where I, I worked
0: with a guy here some time ago who told me that he had taken a job, temporary job at a bank. He was kind of in between opportunities, he needed something at a friend of a bank, brought him in just as a teller. So he could be there for you know four or five months where he kind of got his bearings and figured out what he was gonna do. That was 14 years ago. And we see that happen over and over and over again. Where just because something is working okay. We get trapped in doing that and continuing that. So that's one of those things that people, just because they have the ability to do something, they continue doing it, even if it doesn't blend their passions and their true talents. We develop, we continue developing. You're not the same person today that you were 20 years ago. And a lot of people get trapped just because, again, the comfort of the status quo. So we ought to always be looking at, what are my most marketable talents? where can I add the most value? And that changes over time. So today, people who have been in the same job for 20 years, that used to really be seen as a sign of loyalty. Well, here's a really good employee. In today's environment, people interviewing may see that as a real red flag. Has this person not changed? Has this person not kept up with changes in technology and opportunity? So people who go from company to company, Two to, every two to three years, that may be more of a positive than somebody who's shown that consistency of doing the same thing over a very, very long period of time.
1: Makes perfect sense. So I wanted, before we, we closed, I wanted to spend a few moments talking about your podcast. It's one of the most well-received podcasts in, in the world in its space. So talk to us about the show and, and what kind of things you're covering on it. I was on
0: terrestrial radio in Nashville. Back in that period of time when I started teaching that Sunday school class, opportunities just started showing up everywhere. One of those was you know live radio. So it was WTN out of Nashville on the same station Rush Limbaugh, Dave Ramsey, and people like that were on. So it was very successful. And then I had a young kid who said, Dan, there's this thing called podcasting. Why don't I take segments of your radio show and put it up on podcasting? I'm like, well, whatever, I don't know anything about it, but it won't hurt anything. Go ahead and do that. And he did that. And I started hearing from people from Norway and Sweden and Bolivia and Bangladesh, people places I had barely heard of. now uh, that you got to be kidding me. But it blew my mind. I told the radio station I'm going to finish my contract. They thought I was nuts. you know, podcasting now that's just a little bad that you know t- teenagers are infatuated with But it. it'll go away. Well, it's been phenomenal, as you know, this space. But podcasting, I have never, in as much as I love writing books, and I love the opportunities that have opened up from that, I have never experienced the intimacy, the responsiveness, and the loyalty from listeners like I do with the podcast. It's amazing. And so it's a way to connect with people, encourage people. I promise people that when I moved to podcasting, that was in December, 2006, that I would release a podcast once a week, and I've never missed a week, so I'm now approaching 15 years, I've never missed a week, I've never done a replay, and there's nothing that builds trust, like consistency, you say you're going to do something, then do it, we know the average length of a podcast is seven episodes, people do seven episodes, they look at it, gee, I'm not getting a a big listening audience, and they just quit, No, if you're going to do it, get in the game, do it for a year without second-guessing yourself, then look at where is this going? Does it still fit with what I want to accomplish? Yeah, I love the medium of podcasting. But here's, in that Sunday school class, that grew, and then I started doing a weekly seminar so we wouldn't have the constraints of being in between services at a church. So we did it on Monday night for two hours uninterrupted. Then I got on the radio. And then I discovered podcasting every time my audience 10 times. So here's the deal. You show me the next technology, the next medium, whatever it is, at 10 times my audience. I'm not married to podcasting. It just now is the very best tool that I know of to reach people and to connect with people and interact with people. So who knows what's coming? I mean, we look back. It doesn't take a long look back to see how recent this is. And I'm confident there's probably something in the future that we can't even anticipate.
1: Tell us uh, the name of your show so people can check it out. 48 Days. 48 Days. Our
0: brand, 48 Days to the Work You Love. That's the, the podcast and most everything
1: we do. Outstanding. Dan, this has been so much fun and you've dropped so many pearls of wisdom and I appreciate you being here. As you know, I wrap up every episode with a question I ask all my guests and that is simply, what is your biggest helping, that one most important piece of information you'd like somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation today? Here it is. It's never too late to have a new beginning.
0: You know, it's amazing. I talk to 27-year-old attorneys who say, I should have never done that. You know, I made a mistake. And they imply, now they just have to kind of coast into the grave. I'm like, geez, you're not old enough to ask the right questions yet. You've got tons of time to reevaluate, redirect, realign. And then I, you know, somebody who's 65, who's been forced into retirement well, and you know, I'm confined to 30 years of sitting on the front porch, you know, drooling on myself, watching a dog. Are you serious? I mean, a lot of people at that point have a first real understanding of their greatest gifts and can turn that into the most productive two or three decades of their life. So that's it. It's never too late
1: to have a new beginning. Perfect. I love that. And and I know that you mentioned that you've got uh, something special for our audience. Could you share that with us?
0: Absolutely. Talking with some of the principles that relate to 48 Days of the Work You Love, people can go to this site and get the first chapter. There's other, there's an inventory there. Are you living a life that you really love? Get a percentage score on that free inventory. But if they go to 48days.com slash dailyhelping. 48days.com slash daily helping, specifically for you, Dr. Richard, and your your listeners. Some helpful resources there for them.
1: Beautiful. And we'll have the link to that, the link to the book, and, and everything that's Dan Miller in the show notes at the dailyhelping.com. Well, Dan, thank you so much for coming on. I loved our conversation today.
0: Thank you so much. I've enjoyed it as well. Wonderful.
1: Thank you. And Each and every one of you, I want to give a special thank you to you as well. It's great that you tuned in. And if you like what you heard, go give us a subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. because that's what helps other people find the show. But most importantly, go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are. And post it in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping, because the happiest people are those that help others.